Lots of talk about this and a number of cases that have people very concerned. I told you about the one in Edmonton recently where a guy had been in prison four times, okay? Um, sexual offender, released from prison. One of those ones where police say, you know what? The risk is high enough. We're going to issue a public warning that uh, this guy is likely to reoffend. And he did within a week back in jail again, fifth time. Um, and these kinds of cases, they're, they're not done in isolation. There's a few of them. As you know, they come up quite regularly. In fact, the justice minister in Alberta is calling on Ottawa to um, get involved and overrule a Supreme Court decision that came down on Friday that said you can't put somebody on a national sex offender registry after two convictions. It's too broad. It's too far-reaching. You can't do that. It's not fair. Um, and uh, Tyler Shandro, the justice minister in Alberta, is saying, no, this, you know, this is going to make things less safe for Canadians. We need to do something. We need to intervene. Um, that's the tip of the iceberg, as I say. There are dozens, dozens, literally, of court rulings regarding sentencing changes, all of them that came about under Stephen Harper's government that have now been undone in some way. And it's not just court rulings, governments taking action too. So let's get into this and find out exactly what's going on and you know, what kind of laws are being changed and why. We're going to chat with Lisa Kerr, a professor of criminal law at Queen's University. Uh, Lisa, thank you for joining us. I appreciate your time. Sure thing. Happy to be here. So this this list of court rulings that we're talking about that have overturned some of these sentencing uh, recommendations and some laws in some cases, what specifically has been challenged and upended in the courts? Yeah, so I think what's really important is just to emphasize that what the court has been dealing with in this most recent case having to do with the sex offender registry and in a number of the other decisions you're referring to are laws that make it mandatory that a particular sentence or ancillary order like placement on the sex offender registry that make it mandatory that those be applied. So it's not correct to say that judges cannot place someone on the sex offender registry in the wake of this decision they absolutely can yep um just don't have to registry it's they just don't have to the registry is a legitimate um way of assisting police in investigating um sexual offenses it has a legitimate role to play the problem was that this law that was passed in 2011 forced judges to put every single person on the sex offender registry, and in some cases for life, um, no matter um, how, uh, what the actual features of the offense were, or how old they were when it happened. Um, and so you, could, you wind up with a situation where, you know, a 19-year-old, um, you know, commits an offense in a, you know, no doubt very misguided way, the way young people occasionally do, um, and, and he's on the sex offender registry for life. And so what the court said is, um, is that the law was overbroad mm-hmm. and that it, it wasn't actually achieving its purpose of trying to assist police in preventing um, those who are at high risk of recidivism and investigating their cases and so on. So it was just, it was just the law overshot the mark. It absolutely does not mean that judges can't, in appropriate cases, um, place someone on the sex offender registry. Gotcha. And that's one yeah. ruling of many, right? There's, right. There, there's been a couple dozen rulings around these sentencing requirements. It's true. It's really quite an amazing sort of wake of litigation that followed 
um, decades of sentencing, the decade of sentencing reform that the Harper government engaged in. They passed a lot of laws from 2005 to 2015, and we've seen a lot of those laws reach the Supreme Court level. So just to give a quick list, we've seen the We've seen mandatory sentences for drug crime get struck down. Mm -hmm. We've seen mandatory fines that have to be imposed no matter the income of the offender. Um, we've seen that get struck down. Um, and we, we've also seen mandatory life sentence without the possibility of parole get struck down. And with each of these, it's kind of the same story. It doesn't mean that a judge cannot right. impose a lengthy sentence for drug crime. It doesn't mean a judge cannot impose a fine, particularly where, you know, it looks like an offender has some money and you want to make sure you get at that, that, um, that income ability they have. Um, it doesn't mean the parole board is going to let everybody out who's committed serious crimes. Um, what these cases have said is that our system requires the experts in our systems, the prosecutor, the prison officials, the judges, the parole board, you have to let these people do their job and decide cases based on the, uh, the facts that are in front of them. Um, it doesn't mean any particular outcome is mandated. Uh, what it means is there has to be discretion in, in, in these different scenarios. I think you're right. And I think in a perfect world, that makes absolute sense. But and, and I don't mean to put you on the spot. And if, but to me, it seems no, because, <laughs> because because these laws were brought in. They're, they're wildly popular. Some of the ones that we're talking about that have been overturned, um, they were unanimous. I mean, all parties supported them. So it seems to me like a lot of Canadians think, OK, you're right. We would like to be able to rely on the system to get it right. But they don't. So many times that we're going to say this is what you must do. Um, is it sort of, and then we get into an area of overreach. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Well, I, I, I think you're right to say these laws are popular. Um, and I think, um, you know, tough on crime policies are often pretty easy to sell to people, right? I mean, yeah, we're, yeah. none of us want to be the victim of crime. Um, we all want to protect our families and live in safe communities. And so when a politician says, hey, I'm going to do something that sounds like it's going to make you safer, of course, that sounds appealing to most of us, yeah. right? We want to, I, I want a safe system just as, as much as my neighbor does. Um, the problem is that the, there's often rhetoric around these bills that just doesn't match reality. And I'll give you an example. So the recent Bissonnette case, this was all about um, uh, whether it was constitutional to deny offenders any opportunity at parole. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you if you have multiple murder victims, then you don't ever get to go in right. front of yep. the parole board. Yep. And um, so that was a completely symbolic and unnecessary law. The parole board. Right. Is very well positioned to deny release to serious offenders. And they do it each and every day in this country. <laughs> right. But what's important uh, in our system, though, is that when people are in prison, that they're behaving themselves in prison and that they're doing programs and they're not hurting prison guards and other inmates. And so that law had a very dysfunctional effect. It took away any incentive that a prisoner sure. would have to behave themselves in custody. That's really all it did. Um, and, and, and I kind of have very little doubt that the parole board is going to continue to deny release to people who have murdered multiple victims. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was a dysfunctional law for our prison system. And so, yeah, it's easy to sell it to people, but it's a lot more difficult when you actually have to work inside of a prison and try to make this system work. 
Um, so, so yeah, the laws are popular, but that doesn't mean they're good laws. And there's other considerations at play. Now, there's more, right? I right. mean, we're not, we're not at the end of this. There are yeah. more legal challenges, and there are more governments looking to um, upend some of these sentencing reforms and all the rest of it. I mean, this isn't finished, is it? Well, it's not, and we're really talking here about constitutional law, and yeah. so um, governments aren't free to just say, well, I don't, I don't care much about what's in the, the Constitution. I'm just going to pursue this policy anyway. That's where the courts do have a legitimate role to play. And you're right, there's more cases coming. There's one coming on Friday that has to do um, a case called Sharma, where the court may strike down um, limits on the ability to order a conditional sentence. I mean, that's another example of just a law that's been so dysfunctional. Um, so... So for people that have committed very low-level offenses where they could be sent to provincial jail, but where a judge just says, it makes no sense to send this person to provincial jail. I want to give them house arrest. I want to keep them working. I want to keep them taking care of their kids. I want to keep them paying their child support. So I'm going to keep them in the community. There's no reason to send them to jail. Mm -hmm. And I can manage their risk in a better long-term way by keeping them under strict house arrest and conditions. And, and, and we got these provisions that, that made it impossible for judges to do that. And so they have to send people to provincial jail. Now, if you care about public safety, um, taking someone who's already living a precarious life and taking them away from their job, away from their housing and away from their family for six months and then spitting them out again, that is terrible for public safety. Sure. Um, so it's much better for judges to be able to, you know, judges, they're, they're not, these are fairly conservative and serious people and they want to do justice in the cases that are in front of them. Um, And they understand, right, that public safety is absolutely crucial, but they don't think that public safety is always served by by a short jail sentence in particular. So that issue is is likely, it will be adjudicated on Friday. The case is going to come down, so we may see another law invalidated tomorrow. Exactly, yeah, and and could be more after that, too. So, uh, Lisa, thank you so much for uh, walking us through that. I appreciate your time today. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.